Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show. Happy New Year again. Here we go, kicking off the New Year 2012 with such great guests. Here's an example this month. I've known him. He's well-known nationally and internationally. He is truly a great leader for all of us in the disability community. He is the Executive Director of the United States International Council on Disabilities, Mr. David Morrissey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joyce. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's exciting to have you. And so all of you know, you know, this isn't just someone that says they're helping people with disabilities. He is the real deal. So this is an exciting day for all of you listening to the show. So, David, even though I know this, uh, why don't we start by you telling our listeners how you first became involved in the disability community. Sure. Uh, my pleasure. It's, it's really great to join you on this meeting, this interview today, and, and with your listeners. Uh, I joined the disability community at birth. Uh, I had a condition called spina bifida, which is a pretty um, uh, well-known, I think, uh, birth defect uh, around the United States. Um, it's uh, one that has a really broad range of affect and so when you meet uh, a person with spina bifida you've met one person with spina bifida some of us walk some of us roll uh, some of us use alternative strategies in the workplace but the one thing that um, I love about the spina bifida community is our energy and our enthusiasm and our drive to achieve I've just met some amazing folks uh, with spina bifida who are really doing amazing things around the world uh, and so uh, I really quite proudly let folks know that I am a person with spina bifida and that it hasn't um, held me back. Rather, it's um, been an inspiration to me to keep moving forward. Well, that is, that is awesome. And, uh, David, just in case there are those that don't know, could you explain what spina bifida is? Sure. In some ways, you could think of it as being born with um, a spinal cord injury. Um, we're pretty familiar, I think, with folks if maybe they have a car accident uh, or some other accident, uh, they may injure their spine. And as a result of that injury, uh, they have a disability. And so they may not be able uh, to walk like they used to uh, or do other functions um, or activities of daily living as a result. People with spina bifida uh, come into wor the world with that. It uh, forms in the womb when a person is um, still inside their mommy's belly, 
And uh, we know that uh, through a variety of factors at play, um, that can um, happen very early when the uh, child is developing in the womb. And so that's another reason we also want to advocate for good maternal nutrition. Uh, nutrition is so important to help uh, moms um, have kids uh, who aren't uh, facing that challenge of spina bifida. Um, but uh, for those of us who are born with spina bifida, there's a wide array of um, great interventions, both uh, medical but also educational um, and vocational, that can help us really live to our potential. And so for myself, um, and I think for most folks probably with spina bifida, as you age, it's an evolving process. I know that I won't tell you how old I am uh, today, Joyce, but I'm no longer 20. And so, you know, the uh, things that I could do 20 years ago are not the things um, that I may be able to do today, but I still challenge myself to do as much as I can. And so I still get out there and swim, still get out there, get to the gym, uh, and again, uh, fulfill the, the most potential that I can. Well, and and you certainly fulfill a lot, may I say that. Um, and I'm glad you explained that because, you know, here's something I want everyone to understand. You know, it's not that there's that person with spina bifida. It's there's that person. And, of course, I have epilepsy. I am certainly not ashamed and tell everyone that I have epilepsy. But, like, don't be thinking that, you know, we're a bunch of little weak, weaklings out there we're not you all know that we've got to get back our muchness we've got to remember who we are and david one other question about that you were telling how you became involved in the disability community the question is many people are brought into the world with a disability but not all decide to be an advocate now what made you do that sure great question well i'll tell you i uh, was born and raised in kansas and I was working at a community volunteer center, uh, just on a whole wider range of issues to everything from connecting volunteer mentors to kids in schools to uh, connecting volunteers to senior citizens who needed help around the house. And though I identified as uh, having a disability myself, I hadn't uh, been involved um, at the grassroots level in what could I do to help the movement. And so I became a volunteer in my local center for independent living. And it was an amazing experience because I think it was the first time that I joined with uh, a variety or diversity of people who all had different circumstances. In other words, we really were a diverse group from folks with uh, blindness to folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities, all coming together in our local center uh, to help advance uh, independence among our peers and to really form a community. As soon as I got started, that spark had grabbed me and has never let go. Well, that is awesome. And, you know, I think the key thing to know there is you did something. You, you really took action and you did something. And that is what it takes, folks. Can't make a change unless we ourselves get involved. That's well, right. David, earlier I was talking about you're internationally known. How, how did you first start working in developing groups internationally, and why did you put such an emphasis on Vietnam? Thanks for asking. Uh, you know, I mentioned I was working in my community's volunteer center back in Kansas, and part of my work was also in managing uh, AmeriCorps, which is a, a, a volunteer, a national volunteer um, program, and uh, that includes people with disabilities. 
And um, as I was working with AmeriCorps, I became aware of an opportunity to uh, go to graduate school at the Clinton School of Public Service, which had just been created in Little Rock, Arkansas, following uh, the end of President Bill Clinton's uh, term in office as president. They were creating uh, the presidential library there in Little Rock uh, to house his archives. And with that, the University of Arkansas had proposed to create a school of public service at the graduate school level. I had been out of college for oh, almost a decade and didn't know if I would ever return to uh, school again. But the program's goals really grabbed my imagination. And that program had an emphasis on, one, public service. You did... Uh, service throughout the curriculum, and I did projects also um, here in the U.S. in the Arkansas Delta region around public health education, and they also had an emphasis on international engagement, and so every student in the program had to do a project abroad, and all I knew was that I wanted to do something uh, that would elevate um, a disability community somewhere in the world. And as I began to look at opportunities, um, the idea of going to uh, Vietnam grabbed my imagination. You know, the U.S. has a really uh, long and, and um, I guess I say, special history with Vietnam. We, we were in conflict with this country. We've had uh, a long, ongoing dialogue since the war uh, with the Vietnamese people. And so I wanted to see what could I do to uh, bring my special area that I've worked in, i.e. working with uh, disability groups, um, and see if I could be of help there. And so I ended up uh, moving to Ho Chi Minh City uh, and lived there for four months, uh, working with what we call DPOs, or Disabled Persons Organizations, um, right on the ground. They were doing everything from employment programs to independent living, special education, inclusive education, uh, and it was a life-changing experience. And, like, when you went there to do this, was your, your whole family with you? No, I, this was uh, me with a backpack on my back, my crutches in my arms, and off I went. And did you have a connection there when you got there? I, I did. I worked with, I laid the groundwork. So I, it's a, a warning to folks, don't just take off. You know, lay the groundwork before you go. Uh, I found a, a really wonderful non-governmental organization called PeaceWork International. And PeaceWork um, had been working with uh, some disability groups in Vietnam. And they said, oh, we think we could help you find somewhere to stay and a place to do your work. And the, uh, they helped me lay those really important foundations. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to stay in a boarding house with um, a really wonderful American social worker named Grace Mishler. Uh, Grace is a blind woman who's been working in Vietnam for over a decade. Uh, and generally, always in Vietnam, uh, she only comes back to the U.S. once in a while. She's a real inspiration to me on how um, these uh, cross-cultural or international um, friendships can be built. Wow. What was your reaction when you first got there? Uh, the, the first reaction I'll remember was that first day after walking out of the airport and there's just a sea of people, many holding signs because they're waiting to greet people at, coming out of the airport. And, and there were, were uh, the folks I was going to work with uh, that semester holding my sign with my name on it. And we got into a cab and what strikes you on the streets of a city like uh, Ho Chi Minh City is um, most folks are using either bicycles or motorcycles. Uh, there's not a lot of cars, and so it's just a very different thing to see. You feel like you're sort of in the middle of a, a motorbike race because it's just uh, throngs of people on motorbikes, uh, 
and they're not just riding. They're carrying their groceries. They're carrying tools. They're going to work. Uh, it's men and women. Um, and uh, it's just it's so different from what we see on the traffic or see in traffic on the streets of the United States. Yeah. As a result of um, the high motorbike use, uh, unfortunately, helmets were not a common thing in uh, Vietnam and in other uh, countries around the world that use motorbikes. And groups uh, that do both public health but also injury prevention and other disability advocates have really been pushing uh, countries like Vietnam to start encouraging their folks to get helmets on because we really were seeing a lot of unnecessary injuries as a result of high density, lots of people on motorbikes, no one wearing helmets, including children. <laughs> And as a result of uh, a really focused effort for almost a decade now, um, now I just was back in Vietnam uh, last March, and the uh, increase of helmet use really struck me immediately. I, it was amazing that just in a few years' difference, uh, suddenly a lot more folks had on helmets. Oh, isn't that awesome? And I assume that there's not a lot of, uh, shall I say, help for people with disabilities there? Well, I think it, it depends. I, certainly in a, a low-resourced community, maybe in a smaller uh, town or in a rural setting, uh, those supports uh, can be uh, difficult to find. Um, certainly we know they can be hard to find in an urban setting, too, but I think uh, the resources are there. They just have to be sought out. Um, you know, different countries around the world approach this topic of help um, in, a different, in different ways. A lot of countries are very accustomed to what we might think of as social security or, or safety net measures to make sure that people who have disabilities who uh, may be challenged in being able to find work or challenged in being able to complete their education um, still have a roof over their heads and a basic level of um, safe um, nutritional living. But um, I think now the idea is growing around the world that help uh, from Society for People with Disabilities means creating opportunity, uh, making sure that a youth with a, a disability has the opportunity to complete their education and go on to be uh, gainfully employed. Right. Well, with that, hey, we're going to go to break. If you just tuned in, we are talking to David Morrissey, the Executive Director of the United States International Council on Disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with David. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Hi. 
I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show and Happy New Year to everyone. We have as our guest today David Morrissey, Executive Director of the United States International Council on Disabilities. And we've been talking about some of the work he's done on an international basis, which leads me to asking, uh, now that you're the Executive Director of the United States International Council on Disabilities, how about telling our listeners about the organization, how it was founded, when it was founded, how all of this started. Sure. Uh, the United States International Council on Disabilities, or USID, as we sometimes say, USICD, uh, was founded in 1988 um, with the uh, mission of connecting the American disability community to the global disability community. You know, the uh, movement here in the U.S. Uh, for equal rights for citizens with disabilities uh, goes back uh, decades. And as that movement was taking hold both nationally but also at the local level where we saw so many important things like Centers for Independent Living uh, being started by people with disabilities, um, we knew that an international ripple was happening, that people around the world were seeing this movement and inspired uh, and we saw countries around the world began to uh, pass laws, uh, much like we did with the Americans with Disabilities Act, but also other advocates like parent advocates inspired by what we saw um, with IDEA and inclusive education here in the U.S., uh, working to uh, move their societies forward on better inclusion as well. Uh, and so a global movement was really beginning to take shape. And so we had a, a really wonderful international organization uh, formed called Disabled Peoples International, or DPI. And uh, DPI brings together uh, sort of an umbrella that different uh, countries, uh, disability communities can come together under. And so USICD uh, serves as the National Assembly for the United States in DPI, Disabled Peoples International. We also have colleagues who work internationally in things like uh, rehabilitation, public health, um, clinical services, all these sorts of other um, ways that people with disabilities um, can have uh, benefit 
And so uh, a group that works internationally called Rehabilitation International worked to bring together those professionals. And USICD also served as the uh, national member representing the United States in Rehabilitation International. And so uh, with wonderful folks like uh, Judy Human and Mark Bristow and Lex Frieden, uh, USICD over uh, the last 23 years has been a nonpartisan, non-governmental membership organization uh, that does exactly that work of bridging Americans with disabilities, what we know about disability with the world community so we can be of service to the world community and, and um, help build bridges across borders uh, by bridging people-to-people uh, -people, uh, disability issues. We also advocate uh, to uh, the U.S. government and other large international organizations like the World Bank or the United Nations uh, to make sure that the perspectives of people with disabilities are at the table in those organizations, that America's uh, foreign policy is one that is, uplifts people with disabilities, that um, shines the value of the Americans with Disabilities Act abroad. Uh, and as a result of that advocacy, I think uh, the movement globally um, is, uh, has been enriched uh, by America, um, the American disability community's uh, place at the table. Well, that is so awesome. You know, David, it doesn't seem like people know about this as much as they should. Why is that? Well, it's interesting. I think there's a number of factors. Certainly, uh, if we want to talk about policy advocates, uh, folks who um, advocate for uh, disability policies are often very focused on domestic policies because those are the uh, bread and butter issues that uh, folks live with on a daily basis in their school, um, in their place of work. Um, and so it's really important that a lot of energy be focused on those domestic policy issues. But we have to remember also that uh, we are one country in a wider world, and we can have a positive effect on that world. And so uh, to bring a voice of advocacy to international affairs is important, but it's certainly one that can be uh, perceived as harder to get one's hands on. Uh, there aren't as many groups uh, working in that area. And so uh, USAID has that mission. We focus solely on the international piece. I mentioned we're a membership organization. And so groups uh, such as the Americans, um, I'm sorry, the American Association of Persons with Disabilities, AAPD, or the National Council on Independent Living, NICL, uh, they're members in USAID. We help cover that international topic for them, keep them connected to international opportunities, help connect them to the international community so that, again, the wonderful work that they're doing on domestic issues can have a positive ripple uh, and really shine a light and be exemplary to the world community. Oh, that is, that is so important. Um, I remember Yoshiko Dart and Yoshiko, if you're listening, you know you have had a major impact on my life realizing that people with disabilities are brothers and sisters throughout the world. And I know Yoshiko had such an impact on wanting to see this, you know, continue on. I think she's just had a phenomenal impact on what you're doing. I'm looking at Yoshiko right now. I have a photo of her and I together with Marco Bristow. Uh, the summer that uh, President Obama ordered U.S. signature of the International Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, uh, the three of us are, are together that day, and uh, she is definitely an inspiration. If you are listening, Yoshiko, we love you, and thank you for your support for the work we're doing. 
she's always listening. And Yashika, we always love you. So, you know, as a matter of fact, as I told David at the break, I know when he talked about Vietnam, I know how that changed the whole world for Justin. So, you know, this is very meaningful talking about all of this yeah. today. Yeah. But if you, so if you had one, just, just to make this short and sweet for our listeners, the main purpose of USID is what then? To bridge Americans with disabilities with their brothers and sisters in the world disability community. Well, there you go. I'm going to refer folks to our website, Joyce, at usicd.org. Uh, usicd.org. You can learn all about us. You can sign up for our free newsletter. Every month we'll send it to you. We include headlines from the disability movements around the world. So you can find out what is going on in India, what's going on in Afghanistan, what's going on in Japan. Um, and uh, we love doing it, and we like to be a resource, uh, and we hope you'll consider joining us as a member and uh, diving into the work. Yeah, and becoming a member, right? Yes, we are a membership organization. I mentioned AAPD and Nickel are both organizational members, but we also have an individual membership level. It's $25, and by joining at the individual uh, member level, uh, again, we uh, share resources with you, um, international opportunities to engage, um, and we also uh, rely on that support in order for us to do our work of uh, bringing a disability perspective to uh, foreign policy affairs. So I would encourage all of you, how long is that membership for? Uh, it's one year. Well, okay, so when I hang up the phone, I have to make sure I get several people here, uh, members for this year. So if you're listening to me now, hey, this is a great group, a great mission but it takes all of us to help. So, you know, take time to one more time with that website, David. Sure. USICD.org. All right, everyone. Easy to go there. Easy to go and make this happen today. Get it going because remember, this is our year. Well, we're going to all make it happen. This is our year for muchness. We're going to take a break right now, and then we'll be back with our guest, David Morrissey, Executive Director of the United States International Council on Disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacy Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacy's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back. We have as our guest David Morrissey. Executive Director of the United States International Council on Disabilities. You know, um, I was there July 25, 2009. Uh, President Obama announced the United States would sign on to the United Nations Conventions on Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So here we go. My question, why the heck did this take us so long? <laughs> Great question. And I'm going to counter that and say I'm, I don't know that it really took that long. And here's why. Um, you know, the United Nations adopted the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in 2006. And that meant that on that date of adoption, uh, the writing of the treaty was done. No more edits. And that process had taken years because, you know, writing a, a large international agreement like that, it takes a lot of time. And so... In 2006, writing stopped, and it then, in March of 2007, opened for signature. That was the day that countries could then begin signing and pledging that they uh, would support this um, international standard, that people with disabilities have equal rights. And so when President Obama announced that the U.S. would sign it, it was only 16 months after that date. This is a large international agreement, and so... Uh, countries do have to engage in a very thoughtful process. You don't want to, you know, sign something you haven't read. And so um, I think that the uh, Obama administration really uh, did the right thing by uh, thoughtfully considering all the issues. They put that uh, international agreement through all the processes, all the different agencies like HHS or HUD, or the Department of Justice, all took uh, their turn to review it and to advise uh, the uh, president's team uh, about um, to sign it or not. And clearly the uh, direction of all the federal agencies was, yes, we can sign this um, international agreement. And so we were thrilled to see uh, and to hear that announcement in uh, 2009 that we would sign it. And I will say, you know, even though it does take time, it is a thoughtful process, countries are uh, signing and ratifying this uh, convention at a rate faster than any other human rights treaty in history. And I think that points to a growing recognition around the world uh, that people with disabilities have equal rights 
and that governments around the world are realizing um, how important it is to protect those rights and to uplift uh, people with disabilities by uh, really stating clearly um, what are their um, rights and um, how can society at large uh, make sure those rights are um, protected and people with disabilities are uplifted. And I, uh, you know, I guess what I was referring to, David, weren't there a lot of other countries that signed on before us? There were. And I, you know, I'm not certain about all of their own processes. Um, some of them uh, may have had more um, advanced time uh, to review it because they may have been more involved in the drafting process. Um, or I suppose there's always countries who didn't have uh, the um, constitutional framework that we have here in the U.S., that really um, guided our, guides all of our processes here in the U.S. around lawmaking. And so, you know, every country approaches these differently in a way that's culturally appropriate to them. Well, how, where, how many were ahead of us? Um, I don't know if I have that number in front of me, but I think it was, a, um, it was a, a, at least a few dozen. It was a good number. Um, but, you know, I think today uh, we've seen that both our allies and um, the other countries in the world um, who are signing have now moved toward ratification. And, again, they're all doing it at sort of their own pace. And the only reason I brought that up, when John Lancaster was on uh, the show a few mm-hmm. years ago, yeah, he, he said he actually cried when he sat there, when he was in the United Nations, when all of this went down, and there was no one seated at the United States chair. Right. Yeah. You know, um, as it's interesting, as uh, administrations come and go, uh, we moved from the Clinton administration to the second Bush administration and then to the Obama administration. One constant we had was um, a core group of career federal servants who were not invested in um, party politics, but rather uh, served in the U.S. federal government, regardless of which party is in the White House. They kept their eyes on this treaty and kept learning about it and being a resource to the world community when called to do so, so that as uh, the political uh, changes would come and go, uh, parties would come in and out of the White House, we still maintained a core, uh, I guess I say, a core bank of knowledge about international law uh, as it relates to people with disabilities, so that when the Obama administration came in, and as you remember, Senator Obama, before he won that election, had pledged the U.S. would sign this treaty, which was very exciting to us as well, uh, that they were ready to go. Um, certainly, previous administrations had had different positions, and there may have been times that the administration uh, did not see a value um, in having someone at the table. Um, but I'm so pleased that uh, this current administration saw not only the value of being at the table, but the value of making the international commitment to step up to the table and say, yes, the U.S. affirms that people with disabilities are equal citizens and we are joining this convention. Yes. Amen to that. Oh, yeah. We're a world leader on this. And I think that even administrations that were not um, as involved in the uh, international dialogue around this treaty understood that because of the Americans with Disabilities Act, IDEA, the Rehab Act, we really have been a world leader on disability issues and policymaking and that we do have something to share. Yes, we do. We do. We have been a world leader in this area. I know we have a lot more to do, 
but, you know, with people like you and Tony Quello and Marka Brista and Judy and, well, just so many I can't even think of all of them. Oh, uh, it's an honor to get to do the work. The people you name, I mean, they were mentors to me, and uh, for me to be able to be doing this work with them, is it's just an honor. Mm-hmm. I know how you feel. And as I said, when I think of all this, I think of Justin. Actually, I think of so many people, but um, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, I don't know if people have any idea about this or if they even think about it, but my question was, in the world, how many people are there living with disabilities? And how many countries are involved with us on the treaty? Sure, great question. Um, Well, and actually, uh, great timing on that question. This past summer, the World Health Organization, in partnership with the World Bank, issued what's called the World Report on Disabilities. This was long-awaited. Disability advocates had been really waiting on this report for years because, historically, we didn't have good data on disability because every country thought about disability in their own unique way. And so we didn't have uniform standards of measure. We still don't have a very uh, well-developed uniform standards, but at least after things like the convention passing um, or entering into force and really uh, framing the way we think in global policy about disability has helped us be able to move forward and look at the varying statistics around the world and see what can we estimate is a global number. And so this summer, with the release of the World Report on Disability, uh, the new figure that there are one billion people in the world today estimated to be living with some type of disability. That's huge. That's one in seven people on the planet. Uh, Certainly we understand that some countries may have a higher estimate, some countries may have a lower estimate, but bringing those things all into um, consideration, this is the new understanding. And also, of those one billion people in the world today with a disability, 80% of them live in developing countries, countries where there are fewer resources, uh, fewer legal frameworks for their protection, and so I would say where there's more opportunity and more need to be able to have cross-cultural dialogue, to be a resource uh, from the U.S. and from other countries to help other um, developing countries move forward and to bring people with disabilities up um, in their status in those countries, protect their rights, create opportunities, even creating the opportunity for a young girl with disability to be able to go to school and get an education. Uh, Figures like these new World Report on Disability figures, new legal understandings like the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, those are creating the environment for real change, not just at the policy level, but real change that affects that individual child with a disability to uh, attain all that she's capable of. Right. You know, I have a saying about this, David. A seizure is a seizure no matter where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that Mm -hmm. is the way it is. Mm -hmm. So that is why I always say it doesn't matter if you're here or if you're in Africa. A seizure is still a seizure. The difference is, of course, you don't have the care, you don't have the help that you have here in the United States but you definitely know what it means to have a seizure. Yeah, okay. So that's why we have to think as one. That's why I think mm-hmm. what you're doing is so very important. Thank you. I, it's the solidarity 
of people with disabilities is so important. Um, it's how I think that uh, people with disabilities are moving beyond not only um, being solid advocates for our issues, but leading the world forward um, in all sorts of things like poverty eradication, basic human rights. People with disabilities are leaders in those movements as well. And uh, it's the solidarity that puts the wind in the sails uh, to be uh, doing this work. You also asked me, Joyce, about how many countries have signed on to the treaty under the Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Uh, we have 153 countries around the world have now signed on to the treaty. And as of just this week, 109 countries have ratified the treaty, which wow. means that they'll take that extra step to make sure that their country laws uh, domestically at home are um, in alignment with the treaty. Oh, that is so awesome. It's exciting. So if we go to your website, we can read about this, you correct? You can read all about it. On our website, there's a section um, called Initiatives, and under that uh, is our CRPD Resources page. And we really want to be a resource to your listeners on this uh, very important document that is the International Treaty on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Uh, we want to make sure that accurate information is getting out there um, and that folks know what it is, what it isn't. Um, they can access um, what uh, countries are, are doing. Have they signed it? Where are they going with it? Uh, if they have uh, signed or ratified it, what are they doing at home to uh, really make it real uh, for real people on the ground in their communities um, as a result? Well, I do have one other question. You know, David, hearing about all these great things you're doing at USAID, you know, how do you get funding, and can we help you? Sure. Oh, thank you for asking. So USAID is a nonprofit organization, as I mentioned, uh, and so I have a wonderful board of directors who are community volunteers uh, that help uh, lead this organization. Uh, they have a vision for USAID having a role not only in our advocacy work for um, hopefully leading the U.S. to ratify the International Convention, but also to continue our work as advocates to um, move uh, greater disability inclusion in uh, America's uh, foreign programs operated abroad. And as a result, they are really working with me to be developing USAID as an organization that serves as a resource. And so our funding is a variety of uh, philanthropic uh, grants that we have received, uh, as well as uh, uh, projects and um, contracts to be doing exactly that work. Uh, for example, right now we have a project with USAID, uh, which is to be developing a global disability rights library for people with disabilities around the world to be able to access rights information. You know, today so much information is delivered uh, by the Internet, but what about, the, I think it's estimated that 70% of uh, the countries around the world do not have that level of Internet access that we take for granted here. They may only get it in a major city in a particular country, um, and or there can be brownouts, or the bandwidth is so narrow that really trying to download things like a web page or a PDF uh, is really almost impractical. And so we have to make sure, because of the treaty and other factors that is inspiring this global movement, that the global movement has the resources it needs. We want to see strong self-advocates on the ground in countries around the world driving their own um, societies forward 
on disability inclusion. And so uh, by helping connect the right uh, tools and resources to them, we're helping those movements. These are grassroots movements, and they have to be owned by the folks in those communities, of course. Uh, and so uh, just by creating uh, bridges to information, we're helping those movements. So that's an example of the sort of project um, that uh, we're doing. Um, but I will uh, say that um, it's so important that uh, we are a membership organization because uh, if um, we didn't have um, Americans with Disabilities as our members supporting our work, um, we wouldn't have that wind in the sails that I was talking about. We have the, um, a really diverse community behind us, believing this work is important, believing that there is a lot of knowledge here in the U.S. on disability uh, that can help the world, and they want to see it happen. And so I hope your listeners will consider supporting us as well. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, they can visit our website at usicd.org and learn more about us and also access a, a donor page. Yeah, well, I want everyone to do that, and I do think it's a great cause. You know, when you were talking about all the things you can do and how we can all work together, I remember when Yoshiko called me about, uh, you know, helping people in Japan after that great disaster, people with disabilities. Did, did, did we get involved with that at UCID? We did. Uh, thank you for asking. The um, the uh, earthquake and tsunami and subsequent uh, nuclear situation was uh, really a dire situation for the Japanese. And um, I've talked a lot today about how the U.S. has been a leader in the world on disability. I would say the Japanese have joined us in that leadership. They early on got... Uh, the idea that people with disabilities are equal citizens in their society. And like the U.S., they inspired a ripple effect around the world, too. And so the Japanese uh, people have been a wonderful donor and supporter to uh, disability causes in uh, low-resource or developing countries around the world, particularly in the Asian region. And so when this disaster had occurred to them, the first thing that came to our mind was, they have done so much for the world. This is an opportunity for us to give back. USAID is, I mentioned earlier, uh, the United States uh, national representative in an organization called DPI, Disabled Peoples International. And we know the folks who are in our sister organization there in Japan, like us. Uh, they're an umbrella organization, uh, an organization of members that brings together uh, disability groups in their country to engage internationally. And so we reached out to the DPI Japan folks and said, um, can we help um, support the disability community directly in Japan? I know that following the disaster, a lot of charities um, and relief agencies were collecting donations from Americans to help um, uh, folks who were affected by the disaster in Japan, and that was very important work. But my members reached out to me and said, we want to make sure that we can do something that reaches people with disabilities directly and supports the movements that have already been so well established in Japan so that they don't falter in this time of crisis. And so I'm proud to say that the membership of USICD voluntarily uh, collected uh, around $10,000, and we sent that directly to uh, DPI of Japan, who then shared that money with Centers for Independent Living and resource agencies who were working to support the needs of people with disabilities following the disaster. 
And so we have uh, really the knowledge that our work helped make possible uh, putting a roof over the heads of people who were in uh, co-housing situations that uh, were displaced by the earthquake, uh, folks who needed personal care attendance, um, but maybe their personal care attendant um, was uh, separated from them as a result of the earthquake. Uh, those kinds of things that can really create a situation of double jeopardy for a person with disability. We wanted to see that they were really uh, being addressed. And in um, our humble way, we uh, collected that money to send there to try to help. Oh, that is great. Yes, I remember it very well, so I'm really, really glad um, have we been hearing ongoing how they're doing? A little bit here and there. I was so fortunate to um, attend uh, the um, every four years Disabled Peoples International has a World Assembly. This was the year, and so I was really honored to be able to attend the World Assembly. It was held in uh, Durban, South Africa, and there were representatives from the Japanese disability community there, and we were able to talk about uh, how things were going, how needs were being met, where the challenges were. Uh, some of the challenges are ongoing, um, as we know, for the society at large in Japan, not just for the disability community. Um, but I, I did get a sense that uh, there's solidarity among uh, people with disabilities in Japan outside of the affected region to be helping those folks inside the affected region uh, survive this and there's also my sense uh, that the government in Japan does understand uh, that uh, a doubly vulnerable population um, that includes persons with disabilities after this disaster uh, really is one that must um, have a, a keen eye paid attention to it to make sure that uh, those folks are um, being able to uh, survive this and, and come through it. Right. Oh, well, we certainly constantly have them in our prayers and we will be thinking of them and helping them and supporting you so you can help them. Just one example of how important it is what you're doing. Thank you so much. Well, you know, David, these last two questions I have asked everyone for the past nine years. Okay. Which even when I say that, I can't believe we've been on that long. But uh, the question... Yeah. The question is, the next one, always it seems the most difficult for someone to answer. Um, and that question is just like you. You have already accomplished so much in your life, and it's amazing hearing what you've done and where you've been and what you're working on, because think about it. You're a leader for the whole world. I mean, that is quite an awesome responsibility. So my question to you is, of everything you've done, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the interview, you asked how I came into the disability community, and I, I spoke a little bit about spina bifida and, and my history of having been born with that condition. Um, you know, I know that um, so many of uh, my peers with spina bifida really uh, are challenged uh, to be able to complete their education, uh, challenged to be able to attain employment, um, challenged to be able to even... Um, push back against bullying in, in the schools. Uh, those were all part of my history, too. I struggled with all of those issues. And I guess I would say that um, I, I will say that I feel that is an accomplishment, to have continued uh, with a sense of purpose and to continue to drive forward against the tide sometimes, uh, to take the setbacks, 
reflect on them, recover from them, but then keep moving. Uh, if you have that guide star uh, for your life, uh, a vision of what you can uh, do in this world, uh, it can guide you to um, really uh, soar beyond any of those challenges. And so I would have given you that same answer, Joyce, if I was still um, in Kansas uh, just doing uh, my work at the Volunteer Center uh, and it, with the Center for Independent Living um, in my local community, uh, for me to have been able to go these next steps to take my work uh, to the national and international level is it just all the more uh, bonus. Um, but I really um, um, want to hopefully uh, inspire folks who are listening today um, to uh, meet the challenge in front of them um, and take it head on and to continue to follow that inner voice that guides them. Oh, well, that is is a great accomplishment. I just want to mention one thing. As you know, I'm the chair of AAPD, and one of our initiatives that I wanted this year, which we have, is stopping bullying children with disabilities. Yes, and, it's, and, and, and that you. is a bigger problem that people realize. It absolutely is. A much bigger problem, and it unfortunately uh, it feeds um, all of the uh, other barriers. You know, if you if you're struggling with your education, uh, and then there's bullying as a factor. <clears throat> well, where's the incentive? Um, right, to, right, to try and, to, and, and that then that blocks you from employment and from absolutely. being independent. Absolutely. Uh, well, we're on it there, David. We're awesome. on it. Well, I'm an AAPD member, and when you announced that AAPD was going to be taking that on, I was really pleased and proud of the organization, so thank you for doing it. You're welcome. We're all in it together. Well, David, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Uh, that there is a global movement of people with disabilities, and it's real people. It's, it's local communities and local organizations and individuals who are working hard to make a positive change. Uh, there is a global solidarity movement. Uh, yes, it's putting real energy behind things like the International Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities that we've talked about today, and I hope folks will visit our website to learn more about that important treaty. Um, but I think uh, it's on the ground where that person, that individual is that I am most passionate about because I know that every day another young person with a disability uh, in a, some other country in this world is finding an opportunity as a result of the work we're doing uh, and is finding a more embracing world in front of them and they're therefore going to achieve everything they're capable of. And that just is why we do it. Well, um, I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you, David, and I'm glad I know you, and we wish you only the very best. Oh, thanks so much, Joyce. It's, it's been great to be here with you today, an honor to get to uh, speak with your audience. and you. Well, thank you so much. Give, it, give us that website one more time. Sure, that's USICD.org, and those letters stand for the United States International Council on Disabilities. Well, and to that point, first of all, once again, David, thank you. And we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader or someone who in some way is impacting our lives. Since we've been talking about how 
everyone in the world with a disability is really just our brother and sister and how we are trying to create change. We must end with a quote from Martin Luther King who said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And that's what it's all about. Thank you, thank you, David, and thank you to all of my listeners. We will look forward to talking to you again next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.